Welcome to Automation Advocates, a show where we will talk about automation, manufacturing, and meet some of the personalities that are involved in the industry and get their perspectives. We hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoy creating. Thanks, and here's the show. So after what appears to be a three-month hiatus, you got Justin back here and joining me via FaceTime after... uh, a series of connectivity challenges. We've got Tyler on the other side. How you doing, man? Good. How are you? Man, it's uh it's been busy. It's been busy, but uh I'm doing pretty all right. Um yeah, just I this is not a this is not a proud moment, but I think I will hit Delta Gold by the end of February. Yeah. That was a weird realization when I hit like diamond status at Hilton a couple years ago. Yeah. And it was like, oh, I, this is wonderful. And then at the same time was also like, this is terrible. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Well-known fact, I don't sit still well, but it, it's uh, it, it's at an obnoxious point right now. So, um, but, but business is good, right? So it could be worse. Um, So w- we, uh, we were brainstorming topics before hopping on the phone here and uh, – and it sounds like you've got a new toy that you're uh, you're playing with over there. Yeah, so we're testing out the the studio mic functionality of the MacBook Pro. So what? So, uh, so I uh, let me look here. I'm pulling up my about my MacBook right now. Um, so th- those of you that don't know, I'm I'm I've been a Mac user now for. 14 years and and I'm never going back, but, uh, so I'm rocking an M one max chip in mine. So this is, I think it's two years old now. Um, what, what, tell tell us more about what you went with here and and why? Well, I, I just followed in your footsteps. I did the, (laughs) I did an M three max. There you go. So it's the, all the things that are more better, I suppose. Yes. It's it's crazy. So the the laptop I had before, I think I was on, I think it was 12 years old. Um <laughs> and it was it was starting to show its age. So the the nice thing about Apple is that I didn't even know that I wasn't getting all the most recent updates. Yeah. So like I I finally stopped getting security updates and I'm like, "Oh, that's unfortunate." But all my apps were still working and I mean it was still functional. Uh, but then when I started looking at like some of the other music apps and stuff I use more often are like, oh, well, they're on version 10.9 and I'm on version 10.4. And, you know, Apple was saving me from myself to not let me update further. I'm like, okay, I think it's, I think it's time. And it, it is crazy how fast this thing is. So. So where I noticed it, and, and we're totally going to get to an industrial topic in a, in a minute here. Um, but, but what I noticed the biggest about, uh, about these new, uh, silicons was the, uh, the speed for compiling MP3 files. So I had a, I think it was, a I think it was probably, I don't know, 10 years old, uh, but an I seven based MacBook maxed out Ram, like. And you'd say, compile this podcast down and, and you'd go have a cup of coffee and come back, right? And five, ten minutes later, it was done compiling the hour. And I thought, oh, you know, whatever, not a big deal. And I'm like, I'm sure glad I'm not a video editor, but 
you know, good. When I went to this M1, it was like 35 seconds to compile the hour. And I was like, geez. Um, and you'd think that would have made me more productive, but it just meant I didn't have time to drink coffee, which kind of bummed me out. So, yeah. Yeah, and that's what, so, I mean, and these are not too far apart. So the the efficiency cores, I think, from the M1 to M3 are like 50% faster over that time which oh, is wow. like like three years three yeah. four years something like that yeah and then there's like a 30 percent increase on the like performance cores okay which i don't know that i i haven't kept up with the uh you know processor leapfrogging but it seems that's significant <laughs> it's not it's not like in the 90s where you you had your you know pentium one and then then a Pentium two came out that was twice the everything's, you know. Right. Yeah. And and so far, like I've been I've been pretty happy with uh with with what I've gotten out of this thing. And you know, the 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 downside with, with most of these Mac products is once you buy it, it's not upgradable, right? So I'm guessing you did the same thing and you're like, just max it out now and be done, right? Yep. Yeah, that I didn't didn't quite go max, but you know, I was like I think hopefully thirty six gigs of RAM will do me all right for a while. So I'd hope so. I would hope so. So that kind of brings us to uh an abrupt launching point for today's topic and, and kind of what we were talking about beforehand and again, you know, that this is uh this is not sponsored by our, our day job. Um, there are pros and cons to everything we're about to talk about, and I feel like I have to start it that way because we're to kick a hornet's nest, and and there's beliefs and and and, and opinions here that uh, that are interesting. But you know, as we were trying to connect today, uh, my internet's is bad, right? And and I look at what's going on, right? And we're on the we're on the precipice of uh, what what was the new video Sora or whatever that that the OpenAI released. Um, so it's this AI video generator. Um, I, I keep seeing all these things about hey, we're we're doing all this processing and, and we're building server farms and like there's all this stuff happening. And then I think about the industrial environment and. Uh, Somebody made a comment the other day, like, well, you know, like all, all these folks are going to just start putting their control up in the cloud. And I'm not sure I believe it yet. I'm, I am with you. Um, and there, there's, so there's, so which bunny trail do you want to run down <laughs> on this one? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I think that's the, so let's talk a little bit first around, uh, let's talk around mission critical and putting your control up in the cloud. Um, and from where I sit, right, there's, there's things that are not mission critical. And then there's things that are like, Hey, if this doesn't work, my, my factory stops functioning. Right. And I think. You know, for me, and and I I deal a lot in in food and beverage. Um, yeah, you know, if you're not making 
cans of soft drink or boxes of cereal, yeah, it's expensive and people get bummed out. But what happens if you lose control of a system in your world? Like, best case, you damage the equipment, something solidifies where it's not supposed to and you have to rip it out. Worst case, I'm assuming things go boom, yeah? Yeah, worst case. And and so, like, we talk about fault tolerance and, and being able to control and shut things down. And, like, do you think there's an instance where your applications can truly run in the cloud? And by your applications, we're talking process as it relates to chemical and oil and gas and, and things like that, right? Largely. Yeah, and this, this is where you also probably need another sound clip. The the following opinions are not those of our employers. And <laughs> <laughs> right, right. No, I, this is this is a really interesting conversation because there's there are certainly things and efficiencies that come with being able to do put put control in the cloud. Um, and you know, for a moment of you know the day job jargon, like being able to be on a distributed engineering team across the globe that that you have version control and you have all this stuff that's readily available um, everybody's on the same version you're not having to fight file systems and domains and all this stuff like one thousand percent like that that makes absolute sense um, but if you're at a spot where um and you know i was at i was at a plant you know you were at a plant at 1.2 i believe like there, there was a very clear like network cable in my network closet that was marked internet, um, and you know I I had instructions to the other operators like, look this we're gonna pull this cable if things start going weird and we're gonna run without being connected to the outside world for as long as we need to or until we figure out what's going on. Right. Um. So trying to put, you know trying to put some of that in the cloud my my personal opinion is that like i i want to design the process plants that i've been in at least it seems like a strong requirement to be able to run without being connected to anything else so if that scenario should happen cyber attack whatever um i like i want to be able to isolate the systems and if possible keep running um, because the, you know, the last thing any plant wants to do is shut down for some extended amount of time. Well, and, and it's interesting because you just brought up the kind of the big challenge there is that cyber attack piece, right? And I know right now in, in, in the world, we've got some interesting bad actors and we've had challenges over the last 12 months with different, you know, attacks and, you know, it's hit some of our our customers, right? It's hit uh, it's hit some of our competitors, and I think look, it's real. It's an inevitability, and it's going to continue to happen. So, like, I, I think there's a difference between visibility and non-critical things going up there, right? And and you know, maybe it's some of the softer analytics or optimizations and things like that. But I think you know, as you talk about like true control, um, I struggle because of that, that 
kind of that connectivity and that bad actor piece. The other thing I wonder, and this is something that, you know, again, as we were trying to connect, we had video issues, right? We had quality. I'd say something and you'd get the message five seconds later kind of a thing. And I think uh, when I think about diaper machines or I think about, you know, high speed bottlers, like you can't, you can't have any latency in that system, right? We talk about kind of real time networking and I, I know in process real time might be slower. And I always make fun of my, my, my peer, Michelle. I'm like, you know, process is like motion control, just 10,000 times slower. And, uh, but, but like in my world, milliseconds matter, microseconds start to matter. Um, so, so I wonder like where, where that kind of break point would be or could be, um, now, one of the cases where I've heard is is kind of interesting where maybe it starts to fit is like, could you run a like a secondary copy of your code in the cloud? And maybe this becomes more of a, a digital twin conversation than it does uh, true control. But like, could you test it in the cloud and, and kind of run a copy against the, the existing copy and go, okay, I see the benefits, right? I didn't see what I expected, right? Like maybe there's some interesting games we can play there, but I, I don't know, man. Like, yeah, there, yeah, the the real time stuff I think is probably one of the hardest limits right now. And you'd see, you'd potentially see that eventually, eventually in process control as well. Um, you know, if you're if you're trying to take some process and send it to, you know, some dedicated advanced control functionality and then send it back for all that optimization. Um, you know, the, the, the like degraded state of that is like, okay, well, your, your plant is still running, just not at an optimal throughput or efficiency. Right. But it's still running versus like, I can't open this valve because there's nothing to tell it to turn on the output. Right. Um, and so that's where I think, yeah, like you said, I don't, I don't know fully what the system looks like, but there's got to be some fallback to, okay, this is degraded. We're going to still function at this level, um, you know, for however long we need to, to keep it moving. So I, I think, I think we'll eventually get there. I think the technology is not there and, and like the, the, it's just back to the real time conversation. Um, I think a lot of the like self-driving cars, this is probably an easier analogy, like are having to do like all of the, the object identification and pedestrian identification. Like they have to do that in the car. You can't send that to some supercomputer right. to send it back. And like, should I hit this thing in front of me or not? Like that's a <laughs> right. That's right, a right. real decision in real time. Um so I, I think there's, you know, like robots. That's the technology has a ways to go before we're going to have that sort of ability to, you know, have the control in the cloud, have the robot do that kind of stuff. Yeah. So. No. And, and, and the car one's interesting too, from, from a couple other angles, right. Is okay. There's the, and I think about, I think about trains when I think about cars, right? And I go, man, trains just flow, right? And I know there's there's less traffic as it relates to trains on a singular track versus, you know, the the the, the I five running through LA, right? Like, can can of worms there. But I wonder, 
is there ever going to be a point where some of those are creating a mesh network between each other? And of course, you know, who, who will help write that standard and communication specification? What, what would that mean too? But part of me goes, man, wouldn't it be interesting when you think about occlusion, um, not being able to see what's in front of the object in front of you, right? Like what if your car could talk to the computer in the semi truck in front of you and it could tell you what was going on ahead of them and then ahead of them and then ahead of them. Like that, that could be really interesting. Um, I don't know, just random, uh, thing that popped into my brain there. Yeah. And I mean, that's, you could you could picture that on the control you know on the plant floor too where um you know all your skids or whatever pieces of equipment are are talking ahead you know like we actually program that in is that like if if a line is uh being starved upstream then you start making decisions right right um so i i don't know but uh, what i do know is that like all of that takes some sort of smart so like the the example i was thinking of is like and i'm sure somebody's working on it you know shout out to whoever working on it but (laughs) i'm sure we're already not we but somebody is working on like putting ai intelligence in like an end effector on a a robot sure like so just figure out if you're going to hit something and not hit it or like or how much force do i need to grab this thing that's different object or like, why do I need to program all of that when I, I, ideally, I'm putting all those smarts into this the the end device to figure some of that stuff out. So I'm pulling up a link here, and I think it's the right one. Um, yeah. So th- so there's a company out there called Veo Veo Robotics V E O, um, V E O B O T is their uh, website dot com. Um, and, and they actually use cameras in stereo with a f- fancy computer. So, I mean, and, and they would tell me it's more than a fancy computer. I guarantee it. But uh, basically, they're able to take these this, uh, series of time-of-flight sensors and cameras. I call it a camera, but it, it's, a, it's a hardened sensor. And you mount these around your work cell, and it does a lot of what you just described. So... It's absolutely scanning that work cell in real time, right? They're calibrated to each other. So every camera, so there's no blind spots. Um, and people are using this to uh, guide those industrial robots in, in a collaborative manner. And then I believe, and, and I'd have to read closer, but I think they might even be safety rated. So if you got too close, it could act as a safety device or a safety scanner. Um, I'm not certain of that, so don't take that to the bank and don't buy it as an RIA or uh, ISO safety device. Um, but I, I'm fairly certain that that's uh, that's what's going on. Actually, here it says de- implements dynamic speed and separation monitoring is defined by ISO ten two eighteen dash two twenty eleven or ISO fifteen oh six six twenty sixteen. So. It is uh, ready to go, and it says it's able to ship with uh, ISO 13849 for PLD or Category 3. Uh, so it is it is doing those things, um, which makes me ask a whole slew of questions around how they got that out of a out of a 
computer. Um, it says dual motherboard safety processor. It's, it's it's cool, but yeah. So so we're kind of doing that, but but why not bring that to, you know, automotive or cars and as we're moving down the road well, too, right? I think that I think some of the vision stuff. I think that's how some of them are trying to get away from using like lidar and all this other extra right. sensing right. and just using vision, you know, stereo vision to try to do that stuff. Because yeah. the thought is like, well, I, I'm driving a car. I have, you know, I don't have a radar sensor built into my forehead. Right. Um, I do have a pair of eyes and some ears and, you know, the ability right. to sense, you know, motion, but you know, that's all, that's all I got. There's not, <laughs> there's no. Well, <sighs> And I saw an article the other day uh, in the beauty of this show. We answer to no one, so we can totally go down any rabbit hole we choose. So you're welcome for that at home. Uh, I read an article the other day around a self-driving car that had a incident with a cyclist in San Francisco. I saw that. Um, and what I thought is interesting is, number one, I, I, I like to ride bicycles. Um I don't love doing it on the road anymore. And I would say the most dangerous place to be on a bicycle is on the road. Um, because of these things, right? As I hold up my, my iPhone, way too many distractions for the average driver to, to resist and way too many things to go wrong. Right. And, and I, look, I think there's a lot of, and, and some of my bike buddies will kick me under the table. Yes. You do have to stop at stop signs. Looking at Thank you, you, right? Like, yep. Yeah. So, like, yeah, you, you have to follow laws, and so I, I didn't, I haven't looked at, I don't know if they released any video footage or not, but, but I think some of that is like, hey, you just got to be smart, and and look, even if it was one incident, how many incidents do we have with actual drivers? Like, what are the numbers? Where does it stack up? Right. And and so this is this is the actual to go back to automation land, like the the hard part of all of these automated processes or, um, you know, if you're going to try to write a sequence to run your whole plant, you know, the the hard part is not getting it to work in optimal conditions. <laughs> the hard part is to catch all the failure edge cases um, of which, you know, like a cyclist riding a white bike against a white background, you know, that's, I don't know. Did you test for that or, or whatever the case actually was? Um, same, same thing in the plant. Like, did you test every single failure mode for, for running this way? Because if you, because the inevitably any of these things could happen, in which case an operator, that's what they're doing. They have to make a decision on what am I going to do? This valve failed. Um, right. I have to prioritize these three things behind it for which one is <laughs> going to cost less to replace or cause the least amount of harm to people, you know, like, and this is, right. you know, trying to build all of that into a system is, is tough. It's takes a lot of time and consideration to catch all of that stuff. A absolutely. And, and it's, uh, it's it's messy, right? And and I think you know I I always giggle when people write a program, right? And they're like, "Oh, look at it, it works perfect." Like, yeah, like you said, today it works perfect. Today, 
Um, it, it, and that takes what 20% of it. Right. And then it's all the recovery and what if, and yeah, man, it's a deep rabbit hole quick. Well, and, and some of it's like stuff that should work that decided not to like one of, one of my famous stories from my past life, we had an engineer who was great at breaking stuff. And one day he managed, he, he managed to break the knot block. So normally a knot block is if you send one into it, it outputs the opposite. So he put a one into it and he got a one out of it. And, you know, <laughs> not supposed to happen that way. Uh, but it did. So you, you could almost say it, it can't happen that way right up until <laughs> it did. Right. Like that's weird. That is weird. Um, but yeah. then there's other stuff too, you know, back, back to just the troubles getting on the call today. Um, so back to the bigger circle. So we're running this controller in the cloud you know, the cool thing of the, of the year seems to be 5g internet and private networks and all of this stuff. So, uh, the other thing that happened this week is that there was a major cellular outage from major providers, um, not just in one spot, but across the country, across the U S. Um, so what do you do then? Like, and, and that's what some of the news reports were, you know, that I was watching last night. Um, I think it said 75% of U.S. households do not have a have a, a home line or like a hard line. Correct. Um, so people were just realizing like, okay, well, I use my phone to open my garage door. I can't get in my garage. I don't even have a set of keys to lock is, you know, also going through the network. And I can't call anybody to let me in because I don't have a hard line. Um, you know, same, same thing would happen. I'm assuming on a 5g network that was ultimately backboned by a major carrier. Like what, what are you going to do? Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know either, <laughs> but it, but it makes me nervous, right? Like, oof, oof. well, um, and that's, that's the the tough part is that like in theory, if somebody ran the numbers, like this scenario has a very low likelihood of happening. Sure. Um, you know, you you know, you rattled off the PLD E, I think you said, the, for the safety rating. Yeah. Like that's that's what that is, right? Somebody somebody's has math for how, what's the likelihood of this going to happen and what's the consequence and all of the things. And you throw that into a formula and then you get, you know, you get a safety rating like that. Right. Um, so the, the likelihood of some of these scenarios happening is pretty low, but it's not zero in which case you, depending on how important your plant is, you, you probably have to spend time trying to create workarounds for these scenarios um, totally no and yeah it's it, it it's it's always funny so when i did stuff in power plants it was uh i used to always shake my head right and, and this was young and naive justin right and it was like 
okay, well, if our servo motor stops working, you need a brake release and literally a hand crank on the back of the motor to continue operation. And I thought to myself, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life, right? Like, what do you mean? These things just work. Like, what what do you mean? Um, But then you start seeing some of this stuff and you're like, okay, I get it. If you've got uranium inside of stainless uh, <laughs> rods and you, you got to do a little something, something. Okay. Now I see why you have those things, right? Or the same thing was true with the electronics, right? You need like these, all, all these override and bypass modes and things like that. Um, yeah. And, and, and Frank, like I don't have a home line. I know like if I were to plug a, a, a hard phone into my line, uh, I can still dial dial nine one one. I believe that's still the case, um, but but I don't have a device. Maybe, maybe I should have one, right? Like at the ready, just in case. I I don't know. Or you have uh, at least know of a neighbor that. <laughs> that yeah right. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, we had um, years ago, like so, other other network stuff. We had, uh, so wireless devices were all the rage, I don't know, 10 years ago, something like that. Sure. And they, they're, they still are popular, but when they first came out, there was like, is it wireless heart? Or I think it's like, uh, ISA a hundred or whatever. My, my memory's foggy, but there was all these like issues in, in the opposite way. So we were, we were talking about real time, but these wireless networks, you have like, okay. I only am going to get an update every 10 seconds or every minute or whatever. And so you actually have to now factor that in. So if you're doing control from some wireless device somewhere that has a ton of latency, yeah, I can't make a ton of, you know, I can't make a ton of decisions right away on this data because it's going to be 10 seconds old. It's going to be a minute old. Right. Um, right, right. So you have just the inherent latency of, what what can this wireless network do? Um, which even with the five G stuff, it's you know a thousand times faster than that. But it's still something that if you're truly trying to put everything on the board and factor in, um, what what if my latency changes dramatically as I'm relying on this backbone? I I I as a good engineer should take that into account to make sure that I don't you know overshoot my my whatever that I'm cutting at high speed. Right. Um, right. So I, I don't know, a lot of, a lot of interesting, you know, things to consider as all these, all these technologies continue to, to roll out. Right. Yeah. And, and that kind of comes back. We'll, we'll bring it back to the AI piece and, and some of the other thoughts that I've been rolling around and I, you know, I made a comment the other day around the electricity and, and some of the, the energy usage of these things, right? And I, you know, as we're on this quest for EVs and, you know, going to heat pumps instead of furnaces and like the, the idea of trying to get less and less energy use out there, um, I kind of did an inventory of my own home life, right? Like this phone charges every day my wireless headset charges every day i'm running on two monitors soundbar a backup device 
laptop, the recording, like, and then, I don't know, call it five TVs plugged in and Xbox, like two freezers. Like I start looking at the amount of energy I'm using and I'm going, holy cow. And then I start thinking like, okay, this is open AI release this video generation gizmo. And I think, okay, I, I know my laptop starts to scream when I compile this lovely 60 minute podcast. We're going to, what does it take to compile a five minute video file? Like that's being AI generated. Like, are we talking about power in a home for a day kind of a thing per and, and then you go, okay, well, what are people doing with it? And, and some people I think are just tinkering to tinker and to play and you go, holy cow. Like, do they understand when they click that button, the amount of consumption that came out the other end? I, I, I don't know, man. Like it's, it's weird. Or somebody the other day I saw said, oh, hey, I just fed Bard one of these earnings reports and it spit out this report of the earnings report for me. And I went, well, that's really great. Like it saved you a lot of time. I'm not going to debate that. And look, if anybody's efficient, it's probably you and I, cause we're old programmers who don't like doing things, right? Like that's why we got into programming. But part of me is like, holy shit. Like what did we just do? I, I don't know, man. Like, it, well, it just seems weird to me. Well, and this was always the, um, at least at least the joke being a process guy. Like, how how can you tell a process guy between a PLC guy? Um, and it's typically it was that the process guy was actually paying attention to, like, the data types that were used and all of all of the other details versus just like show up and wing it and you know make it work and. <laughs> Right. There are strengths to both of those approaches. I'm not trying to kick that hornet's nest today. <laughs> um, but there were there are multiple times where, um, you know, in my previous work, I was the, always the one left trying to interface all of these different systems. And so I, I lost count of the number of times I walked up to another programmer and I was like, hey, what data type are you using? Like, how big is it? Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, well, it's a... Well, it's an int. Like, okay, well, is it a small int or a big int or a dent or like what? Like, right. what do you mean? And, the, and they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, you know, I just, I hit new tag in studio and it just, uh, you know, gives me whatever it gives me. Right, right. Like, okay, well, that's a dent. Do you know how many bytes that is? And like, it just, it's this, this whole world of to. Uh, there's a lot of people that don't understand the technology that you're using. Right. And I think that that's a, the holdover or that you can call it a generational difference or whatever is the systems that we started programming on back in the day had these hard constraints. Yeah. Like um, you, you only get so many of these data types yeah. period. Yeah. Like that's it. Or um, you can have, you can have, 12 extra connections across the whole system. So use them wisely. Right. And, and by the way, like you should know how they work because it'll crush the rest of your system if you do it wrong. Oh yeah. Um, whereas, whereas today, like most of the stuff we program is pretty forgiving at you not being an efficient programmer. 
Yeah. So you can get away with all sorts of stuff that is done inefficiently. Well, and I, that brought me back to my, so I started my career largely working with GE 9030 PLCs. And I think inside of those, you had 1,000 registers, and that was it. And so, like, a timer consumed, I think at the time, was three registers, but then you had to think about, you know, integer values, and they had to start on even register numbers, not odd, or whatever (laughs) the rules were, right? And so, if you didn't know what you were doing, sometimes you'd have guys have a timer next to a, a, a numeric value, and the timer would be changing the numeric value, and, and all, like, you were playing in just raw memory space, and then... Yeah, I remember like uh, Logics came around and, and, and Codasys and kind of these modern industrial tools. And you're like, oh, you mean I don't have to remember that I only have 999 of these things anymore? <laughs> That's crazy. Um, and also the reusability of code, right? So before, if you wrote a bunch of program stuff, man, if I had a routine that used registers 1 through 100, the next one couldn't do that. Like I had to... Yeah, I, it, and I don't know if that's good or bad from an efficiency standpoint because I think we've gotten real inefficient sometimes. But <laughs> yeah, but but I mean it's the same. You know, back back to your example. Um, all if and this is how fun I am at parties. But if if you go ask somebody like, um, have have you ever thought about how a stoplight works, like a traffic yeah. light? Yeah. Like somebody had to program that and that there's traffic patterns and all of this stuff that somebody took into account to just like make the lights blinky at the right time. Like it's way more comp or how did the traffic light know that you drove up to it when the light was red? Right. Um, right. Like, like have you there, there's a ground loop sensor and it can tell that there's a hunk of metal about it, but not, you know, so these are, this is all the stuff that goes into all of these things that we just use every day that we've gotten, a lot of people have gotten so far removed from um, how it's actually done. Like, I've, I've heard the same comment about like, our, like today, people are so removed from the process that it takes to get stuff arm to the table. Like, oh yeah, just, just what it took to grow, what it took to get to the store, what it took to process it and pasteurize it and all the things right um and and like there's a there's a lot of stuff that's being done when you go pick up your you know whatever turn you know today's prices are a 12 dollar gallon of milk um, <laughs> <laughs> only in california right <laughs> so uh, so speaking of networks, after uh, after stumbling through some of this earlier today and, and getting things connected, um, my mission in life has been to get more and more of my stuff connected. Uh, so smart outlets, smart light switches, and things like that. Uh, as as I was trying to connect with you, I did some googling, and I think there's a chance that I have maxed out the number of functional connections from my nest wi-fi system Uh, which our friend Corey told me when i first bought it he goes don't do it it's garbage you'll have nothing but problems you should do something different and part of it is like they they tried to consumerize it and take the control out of your hand um and i think i need the control back so 
that that might be my project this afternoon is uh getting jiggy with the cloud and with the network and that like that's a whole interesting discussion too some of this tech that's come out has made life super easy like and i i enjoy not thinking about how i remotely turned on a light and all the infrastructure that it took to do that it's, right right it's pretty right. fun to pick up my phone and go light on yeah um but I didn't have to, I didn't have to think about the bits. I didn't have to think about all the security and all the encryption and all the, like, all I know is I installed an app and now I can turn my lights on and off. Right. Like, that's pretty cool. Um, I do, I, I don't, I think there's a trade-off between how cool it is versus how much I want to pay for a subscription. Um, and I, I personally, as a consumer, couldn't be more excited for hopefully the subscription fad to die at some point, but I don't think it ever will at this point because companies are really excited about their subscriptions and yeah. annual reoccurring revenue. But and and I get it right, it, and this has always been the struggle uh, that I've had with some of those things is like, look, if I'm getting something active out of this thing over time great but if it was a one and done purchase then i'm not so interested right like i think about um well let's pick on these routers so today it's going to ship and it's going to do its thing or, or or i guess yeah these would be routers not modems um if it's going to do something new right like if i'm going to glean something interesting from it okay i i, I could see a minimal annual fee um but if it's if it's just gonna sit there like my previous one did and it's never gonna connect by previous the one before the the google system that i had like it was never connected to the cloud it didn't do anything it didn't know anything it never updated like i think once it shipped the firmware was static forever um and and i'm okay with that uh frankly i i don't now watch all these vans are going to show up outside my house I don't have a super complex password and I don't know that I have anything worth hacking here. Right. Like, yeah. I, so the, so that's an interesting like cybersecurity discussion. Cause that's the, we've moved from this place of you just run it as is and it's fine versus like today people are finding like these zero day expo exploits of, you know, security holes and routers that, you know, a million of them can be turned into a botnet and all of these terrible things. Um, so the today's best practice is that your routers itself, it has the latest security patches and all this stuff. Um, the, the debate is, is that as, as a, as you know, whatever company you buy your router from, is that something that they should be providing or should you buy a subscription to that? And like, Where's the mark of delineation? Like if you buy this thing, but eventually everything that you use it for gets corrupted because of this thing. Right. Um, where's the responsibility fall? Um, and so that's, yeah, so that was interesting. Some of some vendors have taken the approach of, okay, well, I'm in a subscription everything. Um, right. And uh, so you want antivirus protection at the router subscription. Uh, the, the feature I was trying to tell you about earlier is, uh, uh, 
like if you want the ability to turn off somebody's like like turn off a device from your network from an app yep. that's this this other company i was looking at like that's a subscription like if you want any parental controls on your network subscription right and so like it's like come on there's got to be a trade off here somewhere of i'm going to provide a product it's going to have some life you know frame term whatever that i them going to commit to um and i'm also going to provide some amount of service level to you um and i i don't know i i think if it's i think we can't just bury all this stuff behind a subscription because it's the right thing to do versus you know whatever whatever may be best for i i don't know i i get both sides of it you can't run a business for free it's a it's a great way to not be a business but right no, and I, I think that's valid, and and you know, again, like, so so one uh, one interesting subscription that I thought I would have never wanted, but wound up accidentally stumbling to, was one with the HVAC company for my furnace. So. Guy came out, I had a board, so I, I had a water leak that hit the, the main board and, of course, went poof. And uh, the magic smoke went away, and the guy's like, hey, I can get you this new board. It's like $700, but if you sign up for our subscription, we'll give you 10% off. <clears throat> the subscription was like, I don't know, 15 bucks a month, 20 bucks a month, whatever. Um, and so... I'm like, yeah, what? Just sign me up, and I'll cancel it later, right? Like, uh, whatever. Well, after the fact, I found out. Now they come out. I don't have to pay for like a service visit. So if I have a pro or a, a call out, so if I have a problem, them getting in the van to come look at it isn't an initial charge. It's part of my thing, or I get a discount on the rest of the services, or they also come out and they'll do a, a cleaning and a tune-up twice a year, kind of a thing. So. All of a sudden, I'm like, okay, I, I am getting... Basically, I'm prepaying for those sorts of things that I probably should have been doing anyway. Um, and, of course, for them, it's it's a you know it's a stable revenue. It keeps them busy, and it lets them do some scheduling things around you know their schedule, not necessarily mine. So, like, I saw the win-win to it, but I was like, huh. I had never envisioned saying, you know, what I really want to do is pay an HVAC company every month. Like... <laughs> So I get some of that, but then I'm like, okay, like, what wouldn't I pay a subscription on? And and I can start going down that list pretty quick too, right? So, yeah. Well, and there the inherent piece there is that that subscription provides some value. Totally. That's like, and that's and that's like, I I don't know, but like the the subscription that like for me personally, I was like, okay, we've gone we've gone too far with this was. I don't know, some major auto manufacturer decided that if you wanted heated seats, that was a subscription. Right. Like, and I was like, okay. Like, <laughs> right. There's no value in that. No. Um, now, on the flip side, like, I can start my, uh, my GMC terrain here from my phone. That's yeah, so cool. I'll pay for that. Well, because the, the alternate of that is you either bought the option up front when you bought your car, yep, um, which was, you know, 
that doesn't come cheap from the dealer. So that's five five hundred to a thousand dollars. Right. Or you go add an aftermarket one, um, which, which is again, also is, not cheap, right? No. So that so now you're in that five <clears throat> five hundred to a thousand dollars. In which case, like, okay, if I'm now spreading that thousand dollars out over, you know, whatever seven dollars a month, I'm sure. Right. Um, now that's not such a bad thing, especially if you start looking at it, you know, here in Minnesota. Well, if I've used that thing a hundred times in the winter, eh, I got right. My uh, price per start was pretty low, <laughs> even compared to if I installed it. A, yeah, a dedicated one. Well, it, and what's interesting about that too, and, and I'll I'll kind of pull up the. So I've got this Garmin uh, satellite com unit, and their subscription for the satcoms are, are two different methods, right? You can you can buy a whole year, or you can get this freedom plan where you pay like a you pay like one extra month for the to have the plan on, but then you can turn it off month to month. So again, like. In that instance, if I'm only using it three months out of the year, it's great, right? I can turn it off for the nine. Yeah, I paid for four instead of three, but it's still cheaper than paying for 12. And I would be curious on like the seat example, and and, and I think it was BMW um, that proposed it. I don't know if it, it went through, but I would be really curious to find out, like, is it easy to turn on and off that? Because... You know what we don't need here in Minnesota in the in the summertime is heated seats, um, or, or doubly in Texas ten months out of the year, right? Like, is it easy to say, "Hey, it's June and July, turn that off. I'm gonna save my ten bucks." I don't know. Yeah, the I can I have a great example of how not to do subscriptions. Is uh, I don't know if you were greeted by this as well, but I I went to turn on a movie on Amazon Prime. And uh, I was greeted with, hey, we've made some changes. If you want to now watch this video without ads, it's an additional three bucks a month. So, okay. So I've, I'm already paying a subscription. I, and you just changed the parameters. I, you know, I, maybe I got an email on it. I have no idea. But sure. why, like, why do that in the middle of a subscription period? just charge me the extra whatever 12 bucks a year 36 right. bucks a year um versus like degrading this thing that i'm already paying for um in order for me to get that same amount of service that i started i paid you for already right you you're now giving me less and telling me i have to pay more for what we agreed on is what you were going to provide me at the beginning it and part of me wonders and I was trying to watch hockey the other day. And that is not easy to do anymore. Like, you can't just turn on the TV and watch anything anymore. And uh, between ESPN and HBO and Hulu and like go down the list, like you need to subscribe to all these different things. At what point are we going to come back to just going, you know what? Comcast? <laughs> Charter? Hook me up again, right? Like, I, well, I, I think we're set up for there to be a mass exodus back to like cable. Like, right? Hey, you want all this stuff? We're gonna give you that and internet, and we'll give you a cell phone for five more bucks a month. Like, right? Just one company. Get rid of all your other subscriptions. Right. And we'll 
we'll charge you, you know, some nominal percentage less than when you add those all together. Yeah, exactly. Like, sweet. Exactly. 17 bills I don't have to pay every month? Like, okay. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's getting weird, man. It's getting weird. Um, we're coming up on the hour. Anything, uh, anything super like top of mind you want to close out with or? Um, I don't know. I was just trying to think of, are there any major, uh, automation happenings since the, you know, whatever, three months since <laughs> you last did a podcast? Well, we had the one from Automation Fair where we had a little too much whiskey that you weren't part of, but some other folks were. Uh, we've talked a little bit with Charlie about his bike shenanigans. I I don't think so. Nothing I can think of right now. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's just been it's been super busy. That's for. Uh, which is which is great but it's also it's a bummer when you try to keep up with things like a podcast when you're doing the rest of life <laughs> yeah and don't worry your your direct deposit for for this hour is in the mail it's uh <laughs> oh yeah our our whole agreed on uh free 99 that you keep paying me. right 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 <laughs> Um, well, and maybe that's an interesting topic, you know, in, in full disclosure, uh, we didn't really have a huge, uh, topic list to, to jump into today, but, but we owed the fans what the fans wanted. Uh, I wonder if one of them that we need to talk about soon is just the, the busyness of busy and, and kind of, kind of like reflecting back on the changes in the in the automation in the business space as it is in this post-covid world right because i think man the, the calendar's done some weird things travel's done some weird things like there's a lot of things that have shifted i i think we could kill an hour talking about that yeah it feels like it feels like everybody's busy right now totally. like, and there's um you know a bunch of the like automation and in industrial automation influencers, you know, like, man, I, I keep up on their posts and everybody's just busy right now. So yeah, they're, yeah. Um, they're just hustling. So exactly. But, well, I guess we can end this one and, uh, and we'll be back. We'll have to get it on the calendar before, uh, June. <laughs> and we'll go from there. Uh, well, cause that's, uh, that's summertime in Minnesota and that's, uh, that's hard right. to schedule for other right, reasons. Right. <laughs> cool. So uh, with that, I'll uh, I'm gonna hit these last two buttons and we'll uh, we'll shut her down and uh, don't drop because I have a couple other questions for you. But otherwise, we'll uh, we'll catch you all later. And that's a wrap for today. Thanks for listening to the show. If you enjoyed your time with us, please like and subscribe. Keep the letters coming to automationadvocates at gmail.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. The opinions in this show are ours and not representative of our employers. While normally polished, occasionally we might slide off the rails and into the ditch. Forgive us for that one.